0: Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian broadcasting from the Morton Studio today. On Farmer Fridays, we take your calls and questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD or by email radio at agphd.com.
1: All right, so it is Farmer Friday. We're going to get to your questions right away in the Ag PhD mailbag. Before we do, I guess I just want to encourage you please during harvest be safe. I, over the last few weeks, I've been driving around a lot and seeing farmers in a number of different states. Well, there's been a lot of harvest going on and I also see some very impatient drivers out there. (laughs) One of the big things, like just yesterday, as an example, I'm driving down the road and here are two over with farm vehicles, which is fine, but They have the slow-moving vehicle signs on the back of them. What that means, whenever you see that, is you are supposed to slow down before you pass them to the speed of that vehicle. You can't just whiz past them like you can a car that you're going to pass, when they have that slow-moving vehicle sign on the back, you have to slow down to that speed. So if they're going 15 miles an hour, guess what? you got to pull up to them, slow down to 15, then you can proceed around them. And that's the way that they maintain safety around all these slow-moving vehicles. So anyway, just a little tip that I thought I'd throw out there, because I see a lot of cars not even coming close to slowing down to the speed of that vehicle before they go around, and that is unbelievably dangerous. All right, let's get to the egg PhD mailbag.
2: It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren.
0: All right, Brian, get uh, get some sand. Let's start off the day with some numbers here in a spreadsheet. Um, so this one comes in from Petey. He said, "Thanks guys for answering the the previous questions that I've sent in. I want to grow the best quality and best cold germ seed or sweet corn production, and I'm producing sweet corn seed." Uh, just curious, what you would see on these samples? These are all uh, ground uh, gravity fill irrigation uh, rented fields, by the way. Uh, just just wondering what you what you see on there. What are some things I should do?
1: Okay, so I'm looking on here to see if oh, there it is. Cation exchange capacity. So we've got a wide range here, eighteen all the way to thirty four. So we'd consider that medium to on the 18 side to really heavy ground when you start talking 34 CEC. But here's the biggest problem that I see, just as a quick glance. When we've got less than 1% base saturation potassium, um, that's a problem. That's a real problem. And that's going to contribute to poor stocks, poor grain quality, um, and it will also... It could also negatively impact the taste. So, I mean, the the potassium's got to get in balance. The challenge with that is if you don't own the ground, how are you going to get that in balance? Because, well, and actually, they don't have the numbers right. I don't know what lab you used here, but these now, forget what I just said. I'll, I'm going to run the numbers myself. we we got to come back to this question, Darren. These numbers are wrong. So because I, you I, don't like that the base saturation doesn't add up to hundred. Well, no, they've got calcium percentage as twenty-one, magnesium as four, sodium as less than one, and potassium is less than one. It's wrong. It's just it, it. That's not how you run a base saturation test. So, so anyway, we got to come back to this question. I I, I got to run the numbers myself.
0: All right. right. We'll let Brian do a little calculating here over the next break. Uh, get this one in from Jim. He said you guys are talking about drying grain. The Just the process of drying doesn't worry me, but the cost with fuel prices this year does a little bit. Anything you're doing different on drying or that you'd recommend doing different is this year we should leave things
1: in the field longer due to higher cost to dry. Um, we aren't doing anything different. No, but I, I would encourage What's it really cost?
0: What's it really cost a point? And then just say the costs are double this year. When you look at the grain prices, well, the grain prices double what it had been just a few years ago too.
1: Yeah. You got to run the math on your propane, but uh, I I mean, I ran our grain dryers for 20 years on the farm. We had two, we have two continuous flow grain dryers and I can just tell you, I mean, I was down to a penny a point, so I could do it really cheap. Now, granted, we'd had we paid off all the dryers and everything else, but I'm just saying by the time I figured repairs and propane, um, it was a penny a point or less. So I, I'd i run the numbers in, in terms of how much is it actually going to cost you, but what I want you to think about a little bit is this. If, let's say, you let that grain go from 20% moisture where I'd like to see you harvest – Down to 15%. How much in that gap are you going to lose in terms of grain on the ground and then volunteer corn, extra volunteer corn control next year? So you start running the numbers, and, I mean, you look at what the price of corn is right now, and I'm just looking at it on our own farm going, oh, my gosh, I'm getting this corn out of the field as fast as I possibly can. So I don't have risk for wind, for just any kind of lodging from anything. I'm getting it out. In fact, I, I, I mean, I'd almost say I'm going, I, going, we're going to go probably wetter this year because the grain's worth so much. And we can dry it so cheap on our farm. And yeah, the the propane cost is up. I don't like that, but that's minor in terms of what the whole thing is worth. So when I start looking at our own farm, and I'm talking 200 to 240 bushel corn, and I've got this kind of price in the $6 to $7 range, it's like, whoo, that's a lot of dollars that we're looking at protecting there. And I do not want it to end up on the ground. So nope. I'm not really changing anything on our farm. It's all relative. Let's put it this way. If the prop- if the propane price was this way and corn was worth $2, then, yeah, I'm going to start thinking about that a lot more. But it's not. And here's the other factor. And I know this is a minor deal. But still, volunteer corn control costs double what it did. Well, more than that, probably triple what it did two years ago. Not only did the volunteer corn herbicide prices go up, but now we're using double rates because as soon as you mix the volunteer corn herbicide with 2,4-D or dicamba, you got to double the rate, otherwise the stuff doesn't work. So our cost is a lot higher for that. It's not a big deal. I'm going to spend $6 instead of spending $2 like I did three years ago. But, you know, it's a few dollars an acre, and if i got to spray $6 twice and the application cost, it's like, I don't know. I just don't want that volunteer corn uh, at all. Which means I want more grain in my bin in the fall and I want to harvest a little earlier when the corn's a little wetter. I get more grain. All
0: right, thanks for the questions. We'll be right back with more of those questions after this.
2: Early does it. Strong early season defenses against seedling insects and soil diseases are key to a successful season. The leader in in furrow solutions, FMC, helps protect your fields from the start with a growing portfolio of in furrow innovations. You can't predict the future, but you can plant for it. Visit your FMC retailer or infurrow.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use.
3: It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva Agriscience gets that. Introducing nutrition N Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's ZealPro Miticide from Valent USA with next level knockdown and long residual control you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty with efficient translaminar activity apply by ground or air and confidently attack mites where they are make zeal pro the definitive answer to your mite problem visit valent.com zealpro to learn more always read and follow label instructions it's planting season race against the clock
4: season mistakes can't happen season and no one helps you face it all like John Deere putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster that makes your spacing and depth more accurate and that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season see what you have to gain at johndeere.com gain ground
0: listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. Thanks for tuning in today. We'd like you to call in as well if you've got an agronomic question or you want to just talk about what's on your farm. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. phd we got our friend on right now, Tony Wendler with Farm MFG. And Tony, I'm already thinking, we just had a question about the increased cost of drying grain, and I'm like, man, bin fan controls make so much sense all the time. I think this year it's got to be even a bigger deal.
5: If you, are, if you are using electricity to dry your grain, natural air drying or that type of component, having the value of a control that turns the fan off when the air is not useful, basically it's too wet or too dry, it cuts your cost. Rather than that fan sitting there running 24 hours a day and either over drying or pumping in moisture that does no value for you, it shuts it off. And maybe it only ran uh, 12 hours. And uh, only ran during hours that were had air that was really useful to you. So it's uh, I always like seeing it. You know, right now it's it's uh, I haven't looked at the humidity, but it's uh, sprinkling here. I'm guessing the humidity's jumped up. Fans would be shutting off. It's nobody really wants to blow all that moisture in their bin anyway.
0: Exactly. And if you're out in the field and you're like, man, I want to try and get this last round in, or I want to try and get my trucks covered so the grain doesn't get wet. The last thing you're thinking is I have to hurry and get back to <laughs> to my farm place so I can turn those bin fans off. That's why automatic controls are so nice.
5: Exactly. Now that, that just sums it up perfectly. So uh, that's, that's the real value. And uh, the other the other thing that you and I have talked about multiple times is the uh, when the air is too dry, turn it off then so you can maintain the water in that bin, whether it's corn or beans or whatever it is. And uh, the quick math, you knock three points of moisture out of 20,000 bushels of grain, that's a semi-load of grain you couldn't sell. And, hey, that adds up. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it sure does. There's no doubt about it. And that's, that's the hardest one is turning things off when it's too dry. And a lot of folks say, man, I I don't understand all these things about where it's going to be too dry, where it's going to be too wet and those types of things. And that's, what's awesome about this. You can set parameters up and, and just have controls automatically deal with this. Now, when we think about soybeans, I think about that one a lot. How about on corn? How, how well do these types of control systems work on corn?
5: Hey, the the thing that I really look at on corn is, one is you can use it for natural or drying, and that's really the way I developed it. But the the money on corn to me is, if you've got a 100,000 bushel bin of corn out there, and a lot of guys have these big bins, and use whatever math you want, but 100,000, the math works out good for the conversation. The bottom 20% is usually two, three, four points Light on moisture because guys will turn their fans on and just let them run for two months. So when that dry air goes in, it strips the bottom grain of its extra moisture and will dry it as low as it can for whatever air you blew in. With uh, with a fan control, we can protect that bottom twenty percent, and uh, that bottom twenty percent, a hundred thousand bushel bin is uh, twenty thousand bushels, three points of moisture. Is a semi load. It's uh, 54,000 pounds of water you've evaporated and pushed out the top of your bin. So at six bucks a bushel or whatever math you're going to use, one bin pays for three controllers.
0: Yeah, it doesn't in one year. It doesn't take doesn't take very long it's it's an important thing to look at and, and again here's where our dad would always tell us hey you guys are working hard you're making money with your backs right now and that's good but you also got to make money with the pencil and uh, pay attention to what's going on here with the numbers on the farm because it adds up really quick hey Tony thank you so much really appreciate having you on and uh, again we get a lot of requests about hey I uh, have Tony on I want him to talk about the the bin fan controls I want to have him talk about some of these things uh, you can find more information from Tony and you can, can find his contact info to, to give him a call as well, farmshopmfg.com. So we in Wisconsin. We've got Troy on with us right now. How you doing, Troy?
6: Good. How are you guys?
0: You know, we're doing well. We're doing well. We started silage harvest this week here. What's happening over in Wisconsin? You guys chopping silage over there too?
6: Yeah, we fired up the silage program yesterday, and that's currently what I'm doing now is I'm in a push tractor, and, and uh, we got probably to 7,000 tons under our belt already. Oh, so, wow.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So, what do you what do you target? What kind of moisture percentage do you guys shoot for?
6: Well, actually, some of the corn that we're in now is a touch on the green side, uh, but we've got a good stretch of weather. We chippered some uh, middle of last week, and it was uh, low 70s on the chipper, and then we had A couple of really good drying days Uh, the first few loads burned down about 69 percent through the chopper so we've got the weather we've got the manpower we've got corn that's about as close to good as we can get so we're we're going you bet so.
0: absolutely what uh now what do you guys shoot for for tonnage per acre it does it vary by the productivity of the ground where you say yeah some ground i'm shooting for more than others but what, what would be kind of an average and maybe you're high and low
6: so this year actually for what we're in right now the yield is very very well i mean it's it's tremendous um there's probably going to be pretty close to a thirty-ton average here. Wow! Uh, with what we're in right now, um, it, it, it's it's surprising what's out here.
0: That is that is However, fun.
6: you don't have to go very far from here, and the yield is nineteen and a half. Um, there's a couple of people I know that are down in southeast Wisconsin, and they're they're struggling for twenty tons. So it, it varies a lot depending on what you've got for ground, what your fertility management is, what you got for rainfall this summer, and, yeah, a lot of birds
0: So as, as you're rolling, how low do the guys normally chop? How much do they leave out in the field? Do you have rocks you have to watch for, or can they run it fairly low without much worry?
6: Uh, where we're at, there's not too much worry. Um, most of the guys shoot for eight 10 maybe 12 inches of stubble uh, some guys like to leave a little more than that but i know people that have made the argument hey i paid to grow all that corn so i'm gonna take as much as i can get you know so it it, it there again it varies depending on the operator so
0: everybody's got got different objectives and then for us, we we're seeding some cover crop after it, and that's something relatively new on our farm. But uh, how about over in Wisconsin, where you guys have done this for a long time? Are there, is there still enough time for a cover crop, or, or what do you guys do for management?
6: Absolutely, there is plenty of time. Uh, a lot of winter rye will get seeded after this corn silage comes off. Uh, for instance, the, the farm that I'm on right now. Uh, his management practice does not include any alfalfa for the dairy cows. So he double crops a lot of rye with another summer forage. So the the rye is a big part of his, uh, his program. And if you can get the rye in and established earlier, you've got a better chance of it overwintering and maybe even feed it a little bit in the fall. And uh, then it gives you something nice that if you are going to tear it up next spring and go back to corn, you've got a really nice uh, field to pump an ur on. Marking everything up with mud and get on it a little bit earlier and it's a lot more forgiving. So yeah, the, the cover is a huge deal.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and that's a great point, that some of these jobs like getting manure out there. Sometimes it's a little wetter than we'd like, and we just don't have much window to get that done. So, yeah, having that cushion out there, having that root mass uh, growing for you and that growing cover crop, we like that too for for getting the manure out there and giving us uh, uh, just a little wider um, Window of, of forgiveness. Well, Troy, uh, I know you're super busy. Stay safe as you're as you're rolling here along with Silage, and thanks for the chat today. We really appreciate it.
6: Sounds good. Thank you, guys.
0: Yeah, a lot of different moving parts in a Silage chopping operation. Uh, so yeah, gotta gotta be. Got to be on top of things and stay safe with that. Uh, it is fun, though. I, I sure love getting after harvest here. I love the opportunity to get that cover crop out this fall, too. Or We'll be doing that on our farm shortly. Caught a little bit of rain here today, which is kind of unusual, but we'll be back to normal next week and get rolling. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Compromise is
3: nice.
2: What if your herbicide was easy to mix and tough for weeds to resist? Anthem Flex Herbicide from FMC offers the most effective mode of action for spring and winter wheat, delivering long-lasting control of grasses and broadleaf weeds, including Italian ryegrass, rat tail fescue, and downy brome, plus weeds typically resistant to glyphosate and Group 1 and Group 2 herbicides. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday here in the Morton studio. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, which makes it really fun because you never know what the next question will be. Uh, this one's coming in from Chuck up in Michigan. Chuck, how you doing?
7: I'm doing great. How about yourself?
0: Pretty good. Pretty good. What's on your mind?
7: Uh, I had a question for Tony, but I couldn't get the call in quick enough because my phone died, so I had to get it charged back up. But uh, besides farming, i Uh, work for commercial grain elevators, and we have the automatic controllers on. But one of the issues we've seen here in Michigan where because of the lakes, our temperatures and humidity fluctuate so much, we were turning our fans on and off maybe 10 times a day, 300 times a month. And we were seeing where we were getting charged higher electrical bills because of the inrush when those fans are turning on instead of like, we could see on a 50-horsepower fan, our running amps were around 50 amps, but when they were turning on, they could go up to 450 amps. Yeah. And then starting four in series, you know, they could be running for 15. And if the energy supplier took a reading right then, that would ref- uh, reflect on the overall bill. And we were just paying way too high of electrical bill. So we had to actually turn our automatics off to try to control that.
1: Yeah, when I when if we're
7: you had any experience in
1: that? Well, no, because usually we're just talking farm stuff, and it's only just a few yeah. fans that we've got for bins, and and so and also I'm sure there are different companies that handle this different ways. We have not seen that here in South Dakota, at least no one that I have talked to, um, or the people we deal with in Minnesota or Iowa or Nebraska. So anybody else that's having this issue, if you're listening now, call us and let us know. Uh, But, yeah, I can certainly see that. When you start talking great big commercial stuff, uh, that would be a little bit different deal. Yep. But, you know, the foot... you know, with it being commercial,
7: you can see it easier, but they would have the same effect because you're going to have the same inrush starting motors, only just less. Yes. Farm.
1: Yep. 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 No, I can totally see that. And it just depends on when you hit that threshold for when they're going to charge you a whole bunch more money and when when they're not. Right. Yeah. Go ahead. What we did
7: is we turned off the humidity control. Yeah. You know, and that just ran it on temperature and that really slowed the cycles down and spread out the window on the temperature too.
1: Yep. I was going to say you can change the variables a little bit. And then the other big thing is just to monitor stuff because there is a little range. You know, I, I don't mind it so much with some of our grain. It can range a little and I'm okay. But you know, sometimes we've dialed these things in very precisely, which sounds yep. great in theory, but then to your point, you're it's on and off right. and on and off. So yeah, there there that's what we just Yeah, there's a little bit uh, I mean it's it's a little bit of an art besides the science. So no, I agree with yeah, you hundred exactly. percent.
7: One thing that we've found though, even when we turn off our aeration, we really rely on the roof exhausters to keep the spoilage down up in the headspace. Those yes. things are invaluable.
1: Yep, that's really important. And then I just like the monitoring, having the wires going all the way through the grain from top to bottom. That's really helpful. I, I mean, if, if we yep. see a hot spot or something in the past, how are we going to know it was there? I mean, it's kind of like soil testing. You're right. you're dealing with your soil every day, but unless you test it, you don't know, oh, do I have a big problem? Do I not? I, I'm not really sure. So, no, I, I think they're... And one they're, of the
7: things... we. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Well, I was saying one of the things that we use a lot that I think for us um, actually work better, we run, like in ours, we'll run two temperature cables down all the way on the yes. side. yep. And then we put an extra one in the middle for the core to monitor it. Yep. But we also monitor our CO2. And, you know, you can miss hot spots with cables, but if something starts spoiling, those CO2 monitors do a great job of picking that up.
1: Chuck, this is great information. Uh, where are you finding more of your problems? So you said you got two on sides and then one in the middle. Where do you see more of the issues?
7: Uh, if we don't have a chance to core it in the middle. Because yep. we don't have spreaders. We want to keep the FM to blend it at later times. Yes. And yep. And so usually if we're going to have something heat up, is if either, either in corn or soybeans, if we haven't cored that center, we sure. coring is sort of... We have to do that.
1: Yep, yep.
7: But then, like, say the CO2, even if you don't see it on a cable, um, you know, because you can have a cable pretty close to a hotspot and not pick it up for a while. Right, right, right. And that CO2 is a pretty reliable way of knowing if there's a problem. And they're, those are getting cheaper and cheaper and easier to incorporate into the system.
1: Mm-hmm.
7: Uh, we've tried a couple that were actually running our controls with the CO2 rather than just monitoring it.
1: Did you like that better? Yes. Nice. Yeah, more stuff to talk about all the time. CO2
7: a lot on. On we started with the CO2 monitoring a lot on ground piles. Oh sure. Because you're just there's very little you can do there. Right. Right. But that's where we started them. Sort of cut our teeth on that. Then it moved to bins on it, and are very
1: happy with it. So how do you do the CO2 monitoring with a ground pile? Are you saying this is a covered pile then?
7: Yeah, there's companies that will actually put temperature probes in and CO2 monitors. We just um, go out and hold the CO2 monitor in front of the fans.
1: Oh, okay.
7: And we'll take a reading of the temperature and the CO2, and we've got enough history, you know, to know where's normal 500, you know, parts per million. It starts to creep up. Yep. You know, and maybe we'll run different fans longer. Because we have those on anemometers, too, so we aren't just running them all the time. Yep. And if we start seeing the CO2 creep up, we'll just turn them on all the time. Yep. Try to get that hot spot cooled down because... A lot of times we don't have the ability to actually bring in the pile, even if we know it's getting
1: hot. Sure. Yeah. No, I understand. Sometimes those piles are really big, and yeah, you've got commitments for when that has to go. Hey, Chuck, uh, yeah, if, if you want,
7: if you don't have space inside, you can't uh, <laughs> you can't bring it in.
1: Nope, that's for sure. Hey, Chuck, if you want to hang on for us just real quick, I'll have uh, uh, Janelle's of yep. the controls for us today. She can get you in touch uh, with Tony Wendler and uh, maybe answer any more of your questions you got there.
0: Thanks, Chuck. Uh, let's sit down to Iowa. we got Mark on with us right now. Mark, how's it going down there? Doing good, Darren. So are your beans turning as fast as they are up here?
8: We've got a lot of them that are turning pretty fast. There's, oh, in the area, we've got the full spectrum. you got beans that will probably be start harvesting next week to beans that are gourd green. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's the same. And I hope it stays that way. I hope we don't have a frost that evens it all up. I, I like to get as much growing season as we can on those soybeans.
8: Yeah, that's, I've got some of my own that are, they are full season. They're nice and green. Hopefully get some rain on them tonight and put some more bushels on them.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. How about the corn? How's the corn looking?
8: Same way, we've got corn all over the spectrum. We got corn that's just dent starting to dent to corn that's out coming out of the field at twenty four five percent right now.
0: Oh my goodness! Yeah, you do have some. Is that just early maturing stuff or super early yeah, planted? Both. We
8: this is again this is in the area, uh, but there's guys that planted corn in April ninety four to ninety six day corn and and it's coming out and it's going right to the ethanol plant.
0: Wow, just trying to catch that early premium.
8: Yeah, yeah, they posted a bid. They were buying $8 corn this afternoon wow. for a little while.
0: That that'd be fun to haul. <laughs> yeah.
8: <laughs> but but yeah, we've had um there's some early stuff that'll be coming out. Yields are a little disappointing. We thought they were going to be as good as last year, but we're running 10-15-20% less than last year. Wow.
0: Yeah, everybody's always curious about that. So we we got you on specifically, Mark. So the traders in uh, in the grain <laughs> trading business will hear that. Yep, yields are off, guys. We need that price to be up.
8: That's that's a good thing. But the <laughs> biggest thing that we've seen is, that, you know, corn looks good from the outside, just like you guys are talking. You got to get out, get out in the field and look. And the ears aren't near what they are on the outside of the field.
0: Yeah, the heat that we've had at times this summer has been. Been pretty intense, and it's kind of interesting just looking at pollination too. There's been some surprises. So, well, Mark, uh, good luck to you here as as things get rolling. And like I say, going to be a lot of variants out there in these fields as to when they yeah. get ready and what what they're going to be like. But uh, good luck to you. Stay safe this harvest season.
8: We will. We will. Thanks, Darren. Thank and you. Uh, I was just going to tell you a little disappointed in your jacks last week. I was hoping <laughs> they could have
0: pulled that out. Wow, an Iowa guy rooting for the jackrabbits. I love it, Mark. That's fantastic. Well,
8: you know what I am. I had to throw this in too, go go Cyclones tomorrow.
0: Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty fun, the rivalries in college football. Uh, Thanks a lot, Mark. Really appreciate it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
4: Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brothers. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman. When there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey. I'm a farmer and I work for Case IH.
0: Case IH, built by farmers. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal, and the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play.
2: The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com.
4: There's a new kind of crop protection in your territory, and it's always on the hunt. Howler fungicide unleashes multiple modes of action for proven broad-spectrum protection against soil-borne and foliar diseases. Start protecting your territory at agbiome.com slash howler.
2: Condition your beans to 13% moisture and add semi-loads to your bottom line with an end zone or grain temp guard bin management system. Plus, with 13% off all models while supplies last, now is the best time to upgrade. Go to farmshopmfg.com.
0: AgPHD PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the AgPHD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio, and our phone lines are open here in the Morton studio at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head over to Minnesota. Got Brandon on with us right now. How's it going, Brandon? All good. How are you guys doing today? You know, we're uh, cutting some silage, so that's a good thing. I love seeing these <laughs> crops disappear. We start working on next year already.
9: Oh, that's got that right. I was look at work, looking on some fertilizer and lime stuff for, for this fall. So preparing for next year in that way, I was doing that this morning. So, yeah. hey, can you, find, yeah, can you find
0: everything? Can you get pricing? Can you get supplies? What's that like? Um, uh, we
9: started, or at least on the nitrogen side, probably back in May, June, looking for stuff or at least, you know, saying, hey, if this many tons come available at this certain price, you know, put our name on it. So we were pretty lucky in that aspect. But, uh, and was probably the biggest challenge we had finding, um, eventually got our hands on some, don't do a lot of it, but, uh, we eventually did get our hands on stuff. So some stuff, but yeah, it's a different world when, uh, you can't just call up your local guy and just say, yeah, I want this. And they give you a price and you go on your merry way. You gotta, you gotta plan ahead these days. And yeah, it's kind of, kind of frustrating.
0: Yeah. It's a lot more work. There's no doubt about that. How, how far off is harvest in your area? Um, well, I would say the beans started turning.
9: well, probably a week ago, maybe maybe ten days ago now. And, and Grandpa always said that uh, you know you're a month off once they start once they start turning. So I don't know. Probably we won't start cutting beans till September. That last week of September, first week of October, kind of time frame. So right on schedule doesn't. I always joke. It doesn't seem like it doesn't matter when you plant beans. You're always starting like the twenty sixth, twenty seventh of the of September. So that's that's usually the day that I tell my wife to, you know, count on me being late. Yeah and, don't don't, know, ske- don't schedule don't schedule
0: anything else on you on your yes. plate.
9: <laughs> yes, yes.
0: But yep. it's it's just crazy too with these beans. How fast they can go from. Too wet to too dry mm-hmm. and we've been talking about that a little bit on the show today so you're right you gotta gotta be ready when they're ready to go no doubt about that uh how about on the well, corn I'm what do you what do you think on corn yields this year um, i'm pretty optimistic on
9: corn yields um we have had incredible we had incredible stands this spring i think everything we planted basically came up with how warm it got and uh well and uh i don't know going around i'm i'm counting a lot of 16 rounds and you know, 38 longs. So that's, you know, and and when you have good stands, you know, I think that leads to some good yields and hopefully. And we caught some rains here these last couple couple weeks. Not a ton, but enough that um, you know, you're still mowing lawn in September. So that's uh, usually a good sign. So uh, yeah, I'm pretty optimistic. I was I was hoping for some more of those 18, 20 rounds. You know, as uh, yep. as as the season went on, but I don't know it. We didn't get that this year, so hopefully we can make up for it in length, but I don't know. We're at a third, maybe half milk line on some of our earlier stuff.
0: Okay. Yeah, and the other thing would be kernel depth, and that's the one that mm-hmm. uh, a lot of guys are trying to to hand shell corn and do some estimates and calculations. That kernel depth can really can really throw things off, too. If you get nice, deep kernels and hardly any ear in the middle, that's, that's what I like seeing.
9: Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that's always you know, when you're doing your yield estimates, what do you, you know, you divide through that formula, you divide by 80,000 or 90,000. Well, that's, sometimes that's the difference between 250 bushel corn and 210 bushel corn. So, and, you know, we're, we run kind of tight on storage on our farm. And, uh, so it's always kind of a, there's a lot of nervousness actually that comes with, (laughs) you know, yes. How
0: how much is going to have to hold the town?
9: Yes, exactly, exactly. So yeah, usually, you know, usually my brother tells me, "Oh, we only got room for two hundred twenty-seven bushel corn this year. Is it going to be over that or under that?" It's like, well, I hope over, but it also creates a little more work. Yeah, If, we sure have it, if sure. we're over that, but uh, that's that's a good problem to have.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, Brandon, good luck to you guys. Uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully things turn out fantastic for you this fall. All right. Thanks, guys. You bet. Let's head over to northern South Dakota. Got Travis on with us right now. How's it going, Travis?
10: Oh, it's going pretty good. How are you guys today?
0: Not too bad. Not too bad. We're we're cutting silage down here and the beans are turning fast. How about how about up where you're at?
10: Oh, we're we're uh we're watching the guys cut silage here. Not right where we are, but once you get you know, to the east of us towards Lake Langford, they were starting to cut uh silage here the last couple days and uh, it's getting closer out here. I know a few guys are getting that itch and waiting for the custom guys to come in and, and our soybeans are turning, uh, yellow here in the last, I don't know, week or so. And it's that kind of, kind of that countdown until harvest is the beginning.
0: Yes. Yeah, so that means getting all the equipment ready gets to be, uh, uh, oh man, we got to go. We got to go. Are you able to find all yeah. the parts you guys all set or are you still looking for some stuff?
10: Well, so far, we have a few parts left over that were hard to get from last year that we didn't have to use, like cutter bars and belts and a few different things. Our combine is currently in the shop in uh, Aberdeen, going, you know, getting a go through and see what's wrong and what's not, and haven't heard anything that they haven't uh, been able to get anything, but uh, it hasn't been in there very long, so hopefully we don't run into that that as an issue this year, so... We've been having that on everything else, so hopefully we don't have it on our combine. So.
0: Yeah, yeah, no kidding, no kidding. Well, it's always good to have a few extra parts around too, so that's good to hear. You already got some stuff on hand, so you're you're at least uh, a long ways down the road on that one. How about after harvest then? Do you guys do tillage where you're at? Do you do fertilizer in the fall? What what else do you have to get done this fall?
10: You know, we we particularly don't do uh, fall tillage. Um, on a normal year this year, uh, we're doing more summer tillage just because on about half our acres, we had so much PP ground last year from this spring that our acres are, you know, normally what we combine are, are way down by, I don't know, 80% or so. So we have a lot of PP ground that we're uh, working some of it. Uh, we mowed a lot of it and then and burned that down. And we're going to use that as our, our cover for erosion and and see which work work what works best for us um we'll be we we on our pp or pb ground here um we spread a little bit of lime and we're incorporating that in and and try we're getting stuff done normally you do after harvest done right now which is a good thing it's just you know (laughs) you're going you know all out right now too and trying to get everything done and um We'll, um, I don't know, we're kind of, we're, we're debating on if we're going to strip till anything this fall. Um, you can, we don't usually anyways, but we thought we're going to try some. It wouldn't be any nitrogen or anything like that, but uh be more like, uh, I don't know, calcium or gypsum or something like that. Just to, just to try it and see how well it works and if we get any response in the plants next year or, or if we were better off just doing it all in the spring.
0: Yeah, I know some of our listeners are probably thinking, wait, they're too wet this spring? Oh, my goodness. There is such variability across our state that uh, is is it mostly dried up? I mean, is everything looking pretty good now?
10: Yeah, we've been able to get through all of the potholes um, that were wet. And when I mean wet, I mean you could do the backstroke across most of it. Uh, And that was on Eighty percent of our ground. I mean, it, it was a very wet. It, we we mudding it in would have been easy. This this would have been. It was way worse than that. And everything else seems to be drying up. It's still soft in a few places, but you know, big enough tires and you know enough speed, you can get through about anything. Well, so.
0: yeah, it's it's been a been an interesting year for sure. Well, glad to hear uh, uh, the harvest prep is well underway and and uh, good luck to you guys. Hopefully next year you get to plant every single acre.
10: Yeah, I'm really hoping so. Uh, that'd be that would be the ideal thing we, we, we shoot for every year. Absolutely.
0: So. Well, thanks, Travis. Really appreciate having you on. Yep, thank you. we got a question that came in uh, from Tanner, and Tanner said, hey guys, uh, really appreciated your field day. This is our first time coming this summer, so we, we really like that. I said, my question's on planting depth for winter triticale." Uh, we're under irrigation we've been planting shallow like only a half inch to get the crop coming and stooling out before dormancy hits in mid-November just wondering is there a disadvantage to planting shallow if we're confident that we can see some growth in that crop before dormancy we'll talk about that shallow planting depth on winter triticale get to more of your calls and questions right after this
4: When it comes to your tillage equipment, stop compromising and start doing more in one pass. New from McFarlane Ag, the Insight 5200 with an independent blade configuration lets you get more done in less time. Ideal for rocky or sticky soil, the 5200 has two sets of independently mounted blades adjustable up to 12 degrees, a unique chopping reel, and five different finishing attachments, giving you the perfect seedbed. Learn more about the Insight 5200 by visiting McFarlaneAg.com today.
2: Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get maximum spray drift control with Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Max nozzles. The ideal nozzle for dicamba and 24D applications, providing up to 95% drift reduction. Ensure you get the best coverage on hard-to-hit targets. Learn more at Pentair.com/Hypro.
4: Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought or another event? You may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts. You gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther Power in your tank.
3: When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's ZealPro Miticide from Valent USA. With next-level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air and confidently attack mites where they are. Make ZealPro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions.
1: Welcome back to AgPHD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother, Darren. We're live in the Morton studio on a Farmer Friday. If you want to call in, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So right before the break, we were talking about triticale planting depth. Darren, what do you got?
0: Well, this came in from Chip and he's just wondering about planting winter triticale a little shallow, like at a half an inch deep to try to get it coming up a little bit quicker. Chip, the big thing is, if you can possibly plant a little bit earlier, then you have an opportunity to go deeper and still get that kind of growth. So, my recommendation, move that planting window up into the last week of September, maybe the very first few days of October, and all of a sudden you can go to that inch and a half depth, which is ideal. Well, wait,
1: why can't, why can't he plant at that depth? He's, he's,
0: he wants to make sure that he's stooling out and getting lots of growth. And so he's planting more shallow, hoping that that's going to mean quicker emergence, which it will mean quicker emergence. Unfortunately, we are and we were just talking, um, Uh, To a couple university experts yesterday from Nebraska and Michigan, they were saying the challenge is every time they see shallow planting, or I'm sorry, every time they see issues with winter survival, it's almost always related to shallow planting. So I would recommend you plant in that ideal window. Inch and a half is ideal. A lot of lot of experts will say anywhere between an inch and two inches. Uh, I like the inch and a half because that gives you a little bit of leeway either way. But planting just a little bit earlier can accomplish the same thing, and we often see better survival through the winter. Hey, thanks for the question, Chip. We do appreciate that. Uh, let's go east. we got John out in Maryland on right now. John, how are you doing?
11: How are you doing? Can you hear me all right?
0: You bet. Okay.
11: Anyways, just doing all right. Got some rain, and uh, thank God. And Well, let's just say I'm happier than I was two weeks ago.
1: Well, that's good. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I heard you wanted to talk a little about drought resistant crops. I assume that's where you're going with this whole thing saying, well, we've been really dry. Now we got some rain, but what do you do to make the crops more drought tolerant or what are you after?
11: Yeah. So I just, you know, I mean, this is farmer Friday and I love y'all showing and everything and I love listening Thanks. to y'all and Thanks. I know that, you know, this is, this is diverting a little bit away. This is kind of more of a um, plant physiology or whatever, but I just thought y'all might find it interesting that, uh, so I was looking at drought-resistant cover crops and potentially a root in the ground and, and letting the root die down and all that. And I listen to y'all talk all the time about uh corn yep. and how the corn and, and y'all's crops pulled the dew in. And mm-hmm. so I was walking out in the soybean fields, and uh, you know my pants were covered in in uh, in rain, in, in, in dew, right, yep. early in the yep. morning. And I'm oh, like, yeah. on, that's not getting down to the ground, but the plant is shading it out yep and then you know i remember learning about uh the y the the yield 360 y drop and how um they put the nitrogen at the base of the corn plant and the corn plant essentially acts as a funnel and funnels the moisture to the base so those are two different ways of crops to i guess conserve moisture one is more of a, a canopy shade tactic and one is more of funneling moisture to the um to the ground and uh, and then you know I, I got heard, I got talking to a friend of mine. He told me sorghum is is more drought tolerant than that. And so I got looking at that and that kind of has a canopy and um and a funnel, which I thought was interesting. But I started bouncing around and looking at at different ways that crops pull moisture in, and and I just found it interesting. I thought you guys might find it interesting. So I started looking in the desert for plants that you know are are drought resistant, yep. and I found that there's these cactuses, and this is just interesting DNA that I think you guys would think is really cool. So there's these cactuses that can take moisture from their root and pull it deeper into their root zone. So a plant typically pulls moisture from its roots and pulls nutrients up through its stem into the top and then sends sugar back down to its roots, right? Mm -hmm. So a plant naturally is designed to suck moisture out of the ground and pull it up. Well, you know, there's these plants in the the desert that could do that. I was like, you know, that's really cool, but there has to be a plant that can pull it in through its leaves. So I started Googling around. I was about to lose hope, and I'm looking down in the deserts. And all of a sudden I just, I found this plant. I just, it, it had, I just got lucky and all of a sudden cloud forest popped up, right? Uh-huh. And apparently there are places in the world that are, I guess they're rainforests that are extremely high in the clouds. And so it's not quite a rainforest, it's called a cloud forest. The clouds come through there all the time and there are plants in the cloud forest that can pull moisture through their leaves, send it down their shoot, put it into their root and not only put it into their root. They can push it out of their root, and in order to germinate their seeds, which I thought was pretty cool DNA. Very yeah, interesting. Yeah, I thought you guys would think that was neat because I mean, you know, hey, that's how that's how uh, you know that's how things get done. Just looking around at different uh, DNA. So there's 77 plants that they've discovered so far that have the ability to pull a moisture in through their leaves and send it down their stem, rather than mechanically like a corn plant yep. does. Yep. Hmm. No, I just. I don't know. I just want to throw that at you guys. I thought you'd think it was cool because you guys are into this stuff like me.
1: Yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Now maybe they'll uh, take some gene that uh, has allowed these plants to do that, and they'll incorporate that into corn or soybeans someday. That would be uh, that'd be neat. But anyway, John, yeah. a- always interesting talking to you. Always bring a little bit uh, something different to the table. So we appreciate that.
11: Yeah. Yeah, as always. And you know, I'm glad to do that because uh, anything I can do to to keep you guys strong and good helps me out because I learned so much from you guys. It's just, it's, it's, it's fun. It's fun to, to listen to you guys.
1: Awesome. Well, hey, thanks <laughs> a lot, John. And uh, we certainly hope you turn out great here this fall and the crop crop is all good and everything. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot for calling in and check back with us anytime.
11: Cool. Thanks for thanks for uh, having me on.
1: You bet. Thanks, John. Let's head down to Missouri.
0: Ah, we started the Tridicat Talk. Now here we go. We got Tony on with us. How's it going, Tony? Doing well. All right, so understand you want to talk a little fall, Triticale. What you got?
12: Uh, I was told by a local co-op that I wanted to burn down my la- last, after I cut hay, burn down the stubble that was there, you know, whatever greens back up, and put in Triticale, wheat, you know, rye, whatever. And she said there's a toxicity there where it's grass going to another farm of grass, that it wouldn't grow and I've never heard of that before so I wanted to ask your opinions.
0: Well it's in, it's interesting when when we have plant allelopathy which is basically toxins that plants put out to stop competition, uh, understanding which plants are, are going to respond to that is important like for example uh, Callisto which is one of the, uh, Mesotrione which is one of the largest selling Uh, molecules for broadleaf weed control is actually developed from the calistamone tree and the allelopathic toxins it was putting out to keep weeds away. So it is a real thing that there is allelopathy out there. So you're coming out of hay. What kind of hay are you coming out of?
12: Uh, Fescue, uh, clovers, some uh, alfalfa, just a variety, good variety, all around mix. And I just wanted to burn it down, put in something like that, and then take it off in the spring as a silage or haylage, and then go back to a Sorghum Sudan. I want to get tonnage per acre, not just a couple cuttings. I want tonnage. Sure,
0: sure. So the question is coming out of this fescue, clover, alfalfa mix will you be able to burn that down and come right back in and plant other grasses? Boy, I, I have not heard that you couldn't. I know if you've got alfalfa and you want to plant more alfalfa, that doesn't work, that there's a Yeah, there is there. an
12: autotoxicity there. Yep,
0: yep, exactly. But here you're talking about a whole different species that you're going in there with. Um, I, I don't know, I guess I, I haven't had any experience of having a problem with that, but.
12: Well, I, I'd never heard of it either, so that's why I wanted your guys' Yeah, opinion. is this something you've I... done
0: in the past?
12: Well, I've spring put in oats, teff, different things in pasture to get it to perk up sooner. I tried to get uh, that uh, spray, you know, for the spring grass, pastures, hayfields, and I couldn't even hardly find it this spring to spray on the fields to help perk it up sooner. You know, the rise-up smart grass. Oh, sure, sure. And it just wasn't hardly available. So, uh, through my dealer, gotcha. gotcha. you. They, they basically didn't know what I was talking about.
0: <laughs> well, not everybody's on that that uh, bandwagon just yet, but it, it, it was something up here now Now granted, more guys have been doing that up here uh, further north. that's been a, a little bigger deal, but it's uh, not to say that it shouldn't have been available to the south as well.
1: Yeah, so just real quick to answer this question. there is a allelopathic effect coming out of most winter crops i mean a lot of crops have some allelopathy so going right back into it that's that's also one of the reasons why we talk about eliminating the green bridge for a couple of weeks i i know it varies depending on the variety that you're going to have but i i'm not really sure exactly how long the allelopathy would last out of after fescue or after triticale or something like that so we'll do a little more research on that and we'll probably talk about that on the show next week
0: Hey, thanks a lot, Tony. Really appreciate the call. And thanks to everyone for listening today. We really appreciate it. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.